just think this used to be the stationary cupboard, literally. I love that they've <laughs> utilised this space. I was thinking you, you'd, do, you'd have a nice little wet room in here <laughs> when, when podcasts die out. One, one could have a nice... <gasps> a podcast going to die out? Is that your prediction? Have you listened at all to any um, of the Two Shot productions? No, one? you should do that. Welcome to Off Book, a podcast from The Young Vic, where we have conversations with creatives who have recently inspired us with their work here. I am Dan Delamar, and I'm so excited to be joined by Jenna Russell here uh, this afternoon. Thank you so much, Jenna, especially because you're in between shows. We're on a Wednesday matinee. So in between you. shows, where I should be lying down with my feet up. <laughs> and instead, you're in the former stationery cupboard at the Young Vic talking to me. A bit like a padded cell <laughs> that we're thinking might one day be a nice wet room. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Jenna, I'm going to call you an icon of the stage. Now, just accept it, okay? That's okay. what I'm going to call you. That's very nice. Can you print it on a T-shirt? <laughs> print it on a t-shirt we'll make baseball caps we'll make mugs we'll do the whole shebang tote bags and everything because i do think that you're an icon of, oh, of the nice. of the stage not just in london but in uh, broadway as well but there was a time when you weren't an icon of the stage and oh, that's yes. when you were a child and so i want to ask you first of all when did you first understand that you were very very good at standing in front of a room full of strangers <laughs> and singing songs and pretending that you were somebody else oh gosh it's funny, isn't it? I was thinking about this. One, uh, people's roots to the theatre are always strange and, and most of the time not thought thought out. My little girl goes to a school. She's only nine. And it's so interesting that teachers will go, um, oh, did you see, I don't know, Tina in her show? She's so flamboyant and she's definitely going to go on the stage. And I always look and think, no, 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 that... that that child is nowhere going nowhere near the stage it's the little quiet ones at the back who don't quite know what to do with themselves that probably will end up on the stage most actors i know are very shy um quiet people and, and they get to play big mad people on the stage that's part of it so i guess what i'm saying is when i was a little girl um, to cut a long story short, and a lot of actors have this a similar type of story, I had a very tricky, um, complicated childhood that had, was punctuated by m great moments of happiness, but also a lot of um, trouble, troubles, troubles, and I was an only child, so I had no one to kind of talk to my in my troubles through, and. Um, I went to a lot of different schools. There was a lot of moving around, and I was, I think, generally quite a, an all right kid. But when I hit my early teens, I became very introverted, and um, I, kind of, I felt like I'd run out of juice of going to so many different schools and meeting people, and I just kind of was shutting down. I would say, and uh, my stepfather, who I was living with, um, his he was a cabbie one of his jobs was being a black cab driver and his best mate what well, fellow cabbie his son went to a place called sylvia young's which i'm sure you've heard of a lot of people have and they have this odd kind of um vision of sylvia young's of everyone running around in spangly gear being <laughs> like they were in kids from fame or something and i was moving in with my mum and i was 13, 14, and I was like, I can't cope with another school. And this son of my friend's dad said, why don't you try Sylvie's? It's a 
much smaller school. Half of the kids are there because they're genuinely talented. And at this point, there's probably about 20 kids at the school. Um, and half of them are there because they can't cope with school. And um, cut a long story short, I got in under the auspices of not being able to kind of cope with school and, and a bit troubled. And uh, honestly, and I get emotional about it, but it saved my life. I think it saved my life. I think I found my tribe. God, it, I mean, it's so important, isn't it, to find your tribe, whatever your tribe is. I, I, I found a safe place. It was the only place that I'd been that I felt really safe and all right. And so as a result, I started blossoming, I think, as a person. And what we had there was we had lots of lessons, uh, just like normal stuff that I wasn't terribly good at, but I'd give it a go. And we had dancing, which I was always awful at, still am. Um, we had a singing group, which wasn't like individual lessons. We had a, a teacher called Peter Roberts, who still is a friend, came to see the show the other day, you know, and I'm 50 now, so it's a long time ago. And um, Peter just instilled a love of music and would kind of gently praise you if you made a nice sound, but he never went over the top. We had a drama bit and we'd go to auditions for things and I started working and loved it and... I kind of fell into it. Sylvie, who runs runs the school, was extraordinarily um, generous. I think my dad paid the first term's fees and I don't think anything else was ever paid. And I think Sylvie just kept me there because she's kind and good and um, kind of knew that I was benefiting from the school. And I don't even remember. I, I mean, maybe she took some money out of commissions for, for jobs that I'd done but I don't remember that I just remember being there and her being quite a stern but strong female kind of influence and uh, yeah and, and, and I just started working but I never wanted to be an actor and a lot of the kids at the school didn't ever become actors Some and never wanted to be I think it was a confidence building exercise for them and I you know, we all had a really good time and we're all, a lot of us still see each other and it, yeah, saved my life. Do you ever return to the school? No, I've never been back because it's moved. When we first went there, it was in a place um, called, oh gosh, what was it called? It was in Covent Garden and it was in a boys' school and I, I did an article on Sylvie probably 12 years ago for Time Out. And I remember just ringing her up to check a few things. And she said, don't you remember? She said, we used to get there in the morning. And it was like a boys club in Covent Garden. It's now been taken down on its flats. But there was like kind of this um, basement-y area. And she said, and we, we had all these boxes in the corner of the room. And we'd unpack the school. And we'd do a day, a day of lessons and stuff. She said, and at the end of the day, we'd pack it up. And I have a vague recollection, but that's what we did. It was a, literally a hall. And we'd get books out and we'd all sit. And, you know, you, you were in some classes you were in with eight-year-olds. It was, it was kind of bizarre. But, I mean, it's not like that now. It's very professional now. But in the beginning, it was um, kind of wonderfully haphazard, a haphazard kind of environment to be in but really creative 
Excuse me. <coughs> I'm struggling with my <laughs> vice. So your career is thanks to Sylvia Young. Oh, then. 100%. And thanks to my mum for encouraging me. Um, my, my, I think in another life, my mum may have had something to do in the business. I don't know what, but, you know, she... My, my dad loved... Um, he he listened to and we had cassettes of like West Side Story and Judy and Liza at the London Palladium and Liza uh, Judy live at Carnegie Hall and my mum was really into Billy Holiday and lots of jazz and and as I grew up I had the the jazz influence was was even more so so they they gave me these things and my mum was always an extraordinary and still is one of those people that I remember if I did a good drawing as a kid she'd go you could be an artist and you'd go oh be an artist <laughs> or if I wrote a story she'd buy me a you know an exercise book and say write write a whole book go on you can do whatever you like so she gave me that confidence but yeah I guess Sylvia and my parents and yeah, it, I think I think acting is a really quiet little thing, and I and most like I say, most people I know who are actors have overcome something, and it's and and they're quite gentle souls, quiet souls, um, and they give the imp- they're good good at giving an impression of woohoo, but actually. <laughs> You know that they'd probably like nothing better than just peace and quiet. But they get. I, I don't go to parties really much. I don't like having my photograph taken much. I don't weddings. I go. Oh, I've been with my partner, tw- partner twenty years, and we've never got married because I just don't feel the need to get a costume on. Because I guess I'd get it at work. So I, I get my. I, I get to express deep, lovely things, but in work, I don't need to do it. So is it important? Is it important for you then, Jenna, to be that character when you're on stage, when you're in rehearsals? But when you're at home with your husband and your and your child, it's important for you to be Jenna Russell. Oh yeah, and I'm really boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, I I I love my job. I always have loved my job. I still can't quite believe that I make a living doing it, and I think that's the mark of success. I think you know people have odd ideas who aren't in the business of what success is for an actor I think if you can pay your bills and and actually make a living where you can you know keep the wall from the door you're a success you know it's a highly overpopulated um, job and it's you know getting more more harder and harder for people to get into but I, I guess I always think there's this perceived thing that we all ponce around being interesting and going to the theatre lots and and I don't think we do I don't think we do I think generally we're quite a quite a quiet little tribe ultimately sorry I called your partner your husband a second ago even though you just said quite the opposite I call him that (laughs) we know we've been together for 20 years and we go well sometimes partner just sounds like I met him last week so we I call him okay well I I apologize we're not married though (laughs) (laughs) listener not reader Uh, but Jenna what happened after Sylvia Young then what was the next step well I remember she she had this um thing I always remember it sitting sitting in the classroom and um she used to do it when, when it got to the end of a kind of school year 
and she'd sit down and she'd say, um, and what, you know, to each person in the class, and, and what are you going to do, and what are you going to do? And she came to me, and she said, and what are you going to do, Jenna? I said, honestly, I don't know. She went, I tell you what you're going to do, you just, and I'd been up for a Channel 4 film. She went, you're going to start filming. That's what you're going to do. You've got this film coming up that I had auditioned for, but I didn't know I'd got. So I was like, oh, okay. So then I, that was a nice way to leave school to know you had, you know, a nice job coming up. And I did, I did that, I did that. I'd, I'd done the, the year before, sort of at my, my last strains of school, I did um, a, my kind of first big, I guess, theatre job. And that was lovely. Um, and I did enjoy it, but I still wouldn't have considered myself a singer then. But, you know, at school we had a Sondheim group, which was led by... Um, Matt Ryan and there was me, Matt Ryan, my best friend Jackie, another good friend of mine, Claire Burt, Fran, um, Alison Raphael, who is Sylvia Young's daughter, Nick Berry, who you probably don't know, but Nick was a big telly star for a long time. Um, <coughs> and we had this um, Sondheim group when I was like 15. You know, ridiculous doing Pacific overtures <laughs> and all stuff like that. So that was kind of my introduction to to the genius of Stephen Sondheim, which of all the influences in in my life, I think creatively he he remains my 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 biggest and and you know very proud to say we've worked together a load of times now. So it's. Yeah. Well, let's talk special. about Stephen Sondheim then. What is it about a Sondheim musical which you think is just so powerful or so important? You never, you never get as an actor. You never get to the bottom of it. You think you do, but you never do. You never. It, it, it's so rich. It's just good, bloody writing. And the older I get, the more I realise, you know, you can be as good as you like, but unless the writing is good, unless the writing what you're given to say or sing or do, if if that's rubbish, then you'll always be rubbish. You have the writing. Writing is everything, and um, Sondheim is a brilliant, brilliant writer. Um, he work. He collaborates with amazing writers. A bit like Janine here, Janine Tesori. She's she picks her, or they pick her. I don't know how it works with Janine, but. The people she collaborates with are extraordinary people and they, they, you know, obviously fire each other up in a really interesting way. I mean, um, Lisa Crone and um, uh, Tony Kushner, who wrote Caroline or Change with her, had never written a musical before. So I think it's beautiful. They come at it from a different attitude. They, 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 come, they come at it with a playwright's... Um, bent on it and 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 they they don't uh obey the form in a way that some people may that they'll mess with the form because they go well why can't we do this and suddenly you've got an uh, just an in much more interesting way of telling a story that's more akin to a play but of course has the added extraordinary thing of music which when done correctly can can transcend anything i think because musical theatre is is so powerful, isn't it, in when delivering it's messages? When it's good. I mean, I think there's a lot of not not so good stuff out there. I mean, it depends what you like. I there 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 are 
it's like, I don't know, it winds me up because you see people go, oh, musicals. And you go, yeah, I, I get what you're saying if you're looking at a certain type of musical. There are certain types of musical that you go, well, I don't understand. Why is that person bloody well singing? Why can't they just say it? And often the actor who's probably in it is going, why am I singing? There's no, nobody's thought about me standing here talking in this scene and then suddenly bursting into song. Um, it's a really difficult thing to meet, you know, words chatting and then bursting into song. It's a strange thing. And unless it's written really bloody well and with the right actors who know what they know how to do that and make it seamless, it can be clunky and odd. And there is plenty of musicals that I've seen that have been clunky and odd. But when they're done right, when they're when they're good, and there's loads of good ones, they just may not be as commercially available. Um, they're extraordinary, you know. They can move people. They can make a point better than any other art form, I think. And they're the hardest thing to do. I just think... In the 80s and early 90s, musicals were taken over by people who thought they could just make a load of bloody money. So they'd just shove any old rubbish on. I'm sorry, a lot of it is like that. And and uh, around that time, it was quite a cynical um, uh, endeavour. People thought, you know, there's gold in them hills. They would see things like Les Miserables, like cats, and they go, you can you can earn millions. And of course you can, but a lot of care and development and extraordinary writing happened for those. But I think there was a time when everyone thought they could do it and they forgot that they were meant to be telling really good stories. <laughs> so if someone's seen a terrible musical, which is very clunky and is just trying to make a fast buck, what remedy would you give them? What, what kind of, where would you point them in which direction to, as a musical, which is at the top of its game as a piece of wonderful, important, powerful art. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, again, again, you know, even even the great writers can be ruined by a bad production. I would keep I would keep your eyes open for, you know, a good production of 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 a Sondheim or a or a Janita Sorry, You know, we're we're just about to close. But um, Caroline or change that Janine wrote is happening at um, the Playhouse Theatre opening in November, I think. I haven't seen that show. Is that the same as the Hampstead uh, production? Yeah, which, which was started fantastic. at Chichester. Yes, yes. And then they went to Hampstead yeah. and now, and you know, an extraordinary yeah. central Sharon performance Clark, from, yeah. from Sharon, who's, you know, one of our best exponents of, of the craft. <laughs> <laughs> but she is, she's mm. extraordinary, a national treasure, really. I mean, amazing, amazing career Sharon D. Clark's had, and she's a real advocate for good work. Anything with Sharon will be good because she picks her work beautifully. But I would see that. I would. There's some interesting stuff going on at the National and the... Um, at the Old Vic has got some interesting stuff coming up. Generally, the best new writing generally is American and I think that's because in the American structure of the Broadway structure how it all works they really work hard at their musicals and and get them right there's you know Hamilton I haven't seen Hamilton yet so I can't but everyone I know who I trust has said it's extraordinary and groundbreaking and it's not what you expect 
So there's plenty of them out there. There's loads of great and interesting shows. They're, they're just maybe happening at Southwark or they may be happening at the Chocolate Factory or quieter places. Well, also here, when I yeah. saw Fun Home uh, last week, <coughs> there was at times during that production when I, as an audience member, went, oh, hang on a second, they're singing, that I was watching this story happen so much that only after a while do you realise that there is now a musical number, there is now yeah. a song. That's yeah. that's a sign, I suppose, of a successful musical. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, and, and it... I mean, there's no, there's a little bit of there's one little moment of dancing, but that's representative of a childhood memory of of a kind of super popular American TV show. But none of the characters suddenly burst into singing and dancing unnecessarily. I always think with with song that you it's like you're speaking and. My song is a great case in point because I've got a couple of speeches before it which are so beautifully written. It, and it's a great um, way of highlighting how it happens. It, it's the daughter's asking about her mother's experience with her husband and she starts telling these stories about what happened when they first met and how the relationship has gone wrong. And then there's a little silence and the daughter says, you know, how I don't know how you've done it. And she starts to sing but it's unaccompanied but you've had that lead up so you have when when words are not enough you've said all your words you've said to someone something but you the 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 emotion is bigger than the words the the next step is to sing you know and if all else fails you'll dance (laughs) (laughs) but she gets it out through through this beautiful god it's beautiful song it's it's great song extraordinary lyric and um, a real embodiment of that woman's story and her pain it's great to do but before we focus on fun home let's talk about some of the other roles that you've taken and i'm curious as to what the difference is for you playing a real life character in musical theater somebody based on somebody who has existed or does exist and playing a fictional character and whether you have to bring more to uh, the role of somebody who is real, you have to do more research, or, or what's what's the process I, I, there? I guess you, there's a responsibility to tell, to to be honest to them and not add. But it's a bit like doing mammoth. I always think with someone, someone's uh, alive, then you have to look at it. You have to think of David Mamet of invent nothing, deny nothing. You know, you can't think. I think this person would be wonderful if she had a limp. If the person didn't have a limp, <laughs> and you know, with Fun Home, we've all got, we've got, you know these extraordinary drawings by Alison Bechdel so you can see what the family is or, or what and it's her version of 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 her story as well I'm sure if you did it from the mother's point of view the mother would have um, drawn herself very differently but Alison's version of her mother which is our story is you know quite a contained almost absent person she was there but not there and you find out why but yes so I think you have to you cut one can't be really flamboyant and interesting if if you can visually see that there this person was that I mean I I had I did um beautiful show gorgeous show called um Grey Gardens I loved it oh did you see it (laughs) that was incredible oh such a great such a great show and what about her I mean she was a real person Edie 
What was her second name? Edie. I don't know her oh, surname. Bouvier Beale. Edie Bouvier Beale. Extraordinary woman. And it was funny when I did that show because some people go, wow, what a character. And looking at me like, mm, you've gone a bit <laughs> over the top. And I say, have you seen the, the film Green Gardens? Oh, is there a film? Yeah, she's a person. She's a person. Oh, yeah. Well, so where's she from? Oh, no, her accent was completely <laughs> fabricated. She made up. So, I mean, again, what a gift because you've got all these, you've got a whole Marseille Brothers film of that woman and, you know, a lot of the dialogue is taken verbatim from the film and, you know, it's an opportunity lo- missed and lost if you don't absolutely take everything. Did you know about Edie before the the role came about? No, no, no. Well, I knew I knew about the mm. show, but no, I hadn't I hadn't seen the film. I hadn't. And so what, what was the research process just just watching that film? And... I watched the film. I I read um she wrote some beautiful poems. She wrote some really beautiful poems and um there was a film wasn't there with Drew Barrymore and Jessica Lang. I watched that. Again, it's all kind of virtually taken from the documentary of the two of them. And there's a new one. Oh, is there? Yeah, there's a new one. I think it's called... Oh, yes, you're right. There is a new one, yes. or something, or The Lost Summer or something. Anyway, yeah. So, um, no, I watched all of those things. It It was mostly to do with trying to get the accent right, but... Oh, I love that. But job. What, watching you and Sheila Hancock on stage at the Southwark Playhouse, you both seem to be having such a laugh. Yeah. You're having a great time playing yeah. those incredible roles. Is that one of the roles that you look back on most fondly? As this is a character that I've really enjoyed being. Yeah, I think so. And and you know, also that thing is, I I adored Sheila, and I do adore. Funnily enough, rang her today. You know, that's another brilliant thing about being an actor. I was trying to explain to a younger actor here. You know, you. You have this extraordinary privilege of some jobs, the person you connect with most is a 16-year-old, and other jobs, the person you spend the most time with and becomes a dear friend is an 85-year-old. I mean, it's what other... And you, you meet people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different um, sexualities. We We all kind of are thrown in a little pot and we all boil away together and it's and we forget that the rest of the world doesn't exist like that which is why when things like Brexit happens mm. or Donald Trump becomes president you go what what the fuck have I ever been asleep because you're in this extraordinary bubble of of people all being equal and having a voice and having a say and but I, that's another thing that I love about it yeah so working with Sheila on that we had we did we had a terrible giggle and I really <laughs> hope because she was amazing in it I really hope we um we do that again that's 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 one I'm I'm oh I'm, please do that yeah, again I'd love Jenna, to do please it again. Do. okay <laughs> I'll tell everyone and um going back to um differences between different types of musical theatre then what about being in a very well-established um, show, which people know, and the audience comes to see Merrily We Roll Along, for instance, and they know what they think they can expect, or being in a new uh, production, such as, I don't know, Soho Cinders by Styles and Drew, which is a new piece of theatre when it came out in Soho Theatre in, in 2012. What's the difference between being in those two completely different types of, of you know, I don't think there's much of it. I don't think there's much of a difference, interestingly, because... 
believe it or not, not a lot of people know what Merrily We Roll Along is, or they don't, or Sunday in the Park with George, you know, these, these landmark shows that you may have listened to, you and I may have listened to the albums, or seen a concert version of, but the gen- most of the general public haven't got a bloody clue about these shows, as they may not have a clue about Styles and Drew's Soho Cinders. So, and also you're not doing, you're not doing the Broadway thirty years ago production of that. You're, it's you, you and the director and the designers' vision of what that show is. So it feels new. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. yeah. When I did Merrily, and I'd seen Danny Evans and Sam Spiro's um, production, excuse me, <coughs> at the Donmar, but it was very different. Maria's Maria Friedman, who was our director, her take on it was very different to. It was like a different show almost, and it kind of was because the right the, the the structure of the piece had, was played around with follies. I did follies when I was twenty, and the version of Follies that we did 30-odd years ago and the one that's at the National, whilst a lot of it is the same, it's it's a very different show, different productions of things, different directors' visions. and Yeah, so I I always think of them as a new thing. Quite different doing Fun Home because it's the same creative team that did it in New York, so they're bringing that version of the show It'd be interesting to see when Fun Home's done again, which I'm sure it will be in 10 years' time. I really look forward to watching it because it will be a totally creative, fresh, a fresh new thing. But I, but I suppose the point I was trying to make is that there are those more established or, or older musicals like Follies, and you, as somebody who knows your musical theatre stuff, you identify certain actors and performers who have played those roles, and you're sort of, in a way, stepping into uh, their shoes as well in, in yeah, a completely different yeah. production, whereas in a new musical, you're making that role, the, a Jenna Russell uh, role, if you see what I mean. Is there any yeah. a sense of trepidation of playing a, a role in a, in a more established show? No, I think it's a great... Um privilege i mean it's odd though isn't it? it's like it's like if if you're an actor that just does um shakespeare you you doing king lear you feel like you're doing your lear don't you you don't feel like you're doing an old yeah. re, it's it's you're not derek jacobi as king yeah, lear yeah you're you're doing your king lear or your hamlet and i feel like with Unless you're taking over, unless you're the third or fortieth person to play Fontaine, you have to stand in the same place that Patty Lapone discovered thirty-five years ago. That's your job. The lighting will not be changed because it's too expensive. You will be wearing the same design costume that was designed thirty years ago because that's the look of the piece. Yet, if I do, I don't know, pulling something out of the hat. If I do. When when I was asked to do Grey Gardens, I knew that it was going to be a brand new production of Grey Gardens. That all all the only thing that we had to adhere to was saying the right words, singing the right songs, and that was it. Everything else was up for grabs. And you know, obviously, paying attention to who the people were because it was a real person. Same with Merrily, you go, okay. 
and uh, you know again someone like Sondheim is brilliant because he'll he'll he's he's so um, fantastic about allowing people to reinterpret his work i.e. company you know he'll look at it and he'll go what's the idea no that's not going to work no I can't but more often than not and he's a real advocate for people rediscovering his work you know I've done um, Into the Woods twice once at the Don Mar which is a very quiet production where I played Cinderella very small very interesting design and then 15 years later a totally different role but at Regent's Park open air that was kind of massive and that production was then taken to New York to, to be done in Central Park and we changed a lot of things in that and very you know saw it through the child's eye and then the one at the Donmar was a very small version and the only time it had been done before was a massive version with Imelda Staunton being amazing but you know with these slamming doors and it, every new production is new ima- newly imagined Okay, well, I've got that a. Makes sense. Uh, it, do, it does make sense. I've got, uh, but I've got another what's the difference question for Go you ahead. now, Jenna, which is um, what's the difference between uh, performing on Broadway and in the West End with these musicals? Is it the same thing, or is there something intrinsically different about the identity of a Broadway musical and a West End musical? Oh, do you know what? I don't know. I don't know. It. I guess anyone who's got an interest in musical theatre. To take a show to Broadway is kind of a f- kind of childhood fantasy. If one had one, or an adult fantasy, I don't know. I still kind of <laughs> remember the first preview when we took Sunday in the Park with George. I remember standing in the wings for this. For actually, it was an open dress, and and I didn't know because they do that in America. They do a dress, an open dress, but it's like filled with superstars. <laughs> and, <laughs> And Dan was on, Danny Evans was on one side of the stage and I was on the other. And I remember my my top lip, <laughs> my my mouth was so dry that my teeth, my lips had stuck to above my, and I was like, oh my God. A friend of mine went to New York to do a play and I said, get by some Vaseline. I said, because I guarantee you, your top lip will stick to your teeth and you'll be so... To keep some moisture in That's there. That's a top tip for all future musical theatre artists. It, oh, there we go. a play. He was doing a play. <laughs> oh, okay, he, he did use it. But yeah, there's something like coming home, mm. like taking, you know, taking it to, to its roots. But I don't know. After the event, I think I prefer the way we work here. I do. I really, really do. It's a much more kind of collaborative and a bit more relaxed, I think. I think in New York, the money that's involved, I think, probably makes it a quite a scary environment to be in, maybe. I know a lot of people that, actors who don't speak up because if they don't, if they get sacked, then that they don't get their health care paid for. There's a bit of that going on that maybe it's one of those things that people don't, like talking about but you know you have to have earned a certain amount of money to be able to get health care insurance which you know we all need we we take it for granted because we have national health but over there they don't so I think actors are a bit more maybe compliant over there because 
the job, the, the, the stakes are higher in a different way than they are here. Here, you know, we're more secure, I think. Our jobs are more secure. I keep hearing stories about, oh, yeah, he was sacked in previews. We ha That hardly ever happens over here. So as a result, I think it's um, much more collaborative over here than it is in New York. But still, it's ridiculous to walk in down through Manhattan and people genuinely know you're in a show. I mean, <laughs> I remember... And I'm not just saying this because I'm saying it. It just was a thing that happened. But I remember just after the Tony Award nominations were announced and our show had done very well in the nominations. But me and Danny Evans went into like a diner and some people clapped us. Oh, and wow. you go, That's ridiculous. That just wouldn't happen. Mm. Even if you're in the biggest hit show in London, people, you're, you're still anonymous. You're, you're in because New York is a theatre town because it's their business everyone knows who you are it's a very different kind of vibe so I'm thrilled that I got to experience it but I'm also thrilled and I feel very lucky that I, I get to do most of my work here and I suppose that is handy with you being the mother to a younger child yeah. as well do you how do you manage to balance um parenthood with your oh, extremely successful career so bless you <laughs> sometimes i don't i you know i think it's very hard i think um you know you always feel there's a part of you that feels guilty when you're working as a mom i mean i'm very lucky i'm very lucky ray and i my other half we we managed to to balance balance it out very well in, and and I think to myself when I'm the good thing about my job is <coughs> sorry I'm fighting a cold mm. the good thing about my job is when I'm if I'm doing theatre then you know I'm around till four o'clock most days and then I have to drive in because I live outside of London so when I'm around I'm around when I'm if I'm filming the hours are different and I might get home for bedtime but it you know, and when you're not working, you're around all the time. So we've managed to make it work. That and my mum has helped out. But it's hard. It's hard. It is. It's tricky. But I remember years ago, lovely Sam Spiro saying to me when I was having a bit of a wobble about, you know, feeling guilty. And I think when they're very young, your children, you know, will literally cling to your leg as you're trying to leave the house. And the guilt, you know, go, oh, see you later, darling. And you shut the door and you just hear them scream and you think, oh. God, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I was on the phone to her and I went, oh, I'm just feeling so bad. It, it was just about doing, we were doing an Almeida, like, um, benefit, you know, a, a charity concert thing. And me trying to get the time off to come in and rehearse. And she was so brilliant because she just went, look. She said, you're the mother of a daughter. She said, I've got two daughters. She said, and you're, in your dark moments, you must think I'm really showing them that they can be a working mum and I'm being a good role model. And I, I kind of cling to that and I did cling to that then. It really helped. I think it's, it's ultimately, you know, it's all right. We can, you can do both things. But, you know, I do pick some things come up and I know Ray certainly does too. He's an actor as well, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. And, 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 you know, you go, oh, I, I, can't, I can't be away for six months or I, of course you can't or I can't. 
do that rep job because you're working in London and I can't, how's that going to work? You know, you have to make different choices. You have to make different choices. Well, I'm very cl- uh, glad to hear that it's working for you, Jenna. So far. <laughs> well, we're boiling to death in this little booth. So before I release <laughs> you into the world, um, I'm going to ask you a fun little question, which Jen. is what role in musical theatre would you love to play that you haven't played? Oh. And I'm going to expand this to include any traditional male roles as well that have oh. traditionally been played by men. Oh, you've put me on the spot. <laughs> oh, there are so many. Blimey. See, the thing is as well, by getting older, some parts that you always wanted to play have gone forever, which is sad. So if I had a time machine on top of what you're saying, always wanted to play Liza Doolittle. That's never going to happen. But, um, I mean, the obvious ones, um, Desiree and Night Music, um, Sally in Follies. Any male roles? You don't want to be the MC male or roles. Fagin or... Fagin. I'd love to have a go at Fagin. That'd be good. Um, both parts in Sweeney. Oh, wow. Love it. And Sweeney. Crikey, why not? Oh, there are plenty. Bruce. I'd love to play Bruce in our show. What a role that is. Extraordinary role. Oh, there are loads. George in Sunday in the Park with George if we're going to be... If we're going to chuck away genders. There are... There are I mean, the part that I've all I've always wanted to get my hands on, but it's impossible. But I always put it out there. <laughs> is um, and I've never read the script because nobody will give me the script. But um, next to normal, um, Diane, the lead, the lead in in next to normal. That's a great role about mental health. Again, you see, musicals can handle extraordinary um, subjects. Well, to all casting directors listening to this, you heard it here first. <laughs> Jenna, it's been such a delight not only um, talking to you um, this afternoon, but watching you on stage oh, in, across you. this city in a number of incredible roles. Thank, thank you so you, much for everything you. you do. My thank pleasure. You. Lovely to meet you too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Off Book by The Young Vic. If you'd like to hear more conversations with some of the most exciting people in theatre, subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. 